When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Welcome to the Inside the Board Study Smarter series dedicated to helping you learn to think like a question writer so you can study smarter, not harder, and succeed on your exam. All right, welcome to the Inside the Board Study Smarter podcast. I am Patrick Beeman, your host. Today we are launching our Internal Medicine Step 2 Study Smarter series. This is just going to be a handful of episodes because we'll be moving into our Step 1 Study Smarter series here at the end of March, early April. We just got back from AMSA, had a great time meeting some students there. Check out our main podcast channel for interviews and some advice we got from students and uh, other educators in the space that we recorded live at AMSA's convention. As well, just a reminder, our All Audio QBank, Step 1 is powered by Exam Circle and Lecturio, and Step 2 is powered by Online MedEd. The beta iOS app is going to come out any day now. So if you are already a subscriber to the All Audio QBank, keep watch for an email from us on um, the changes that will be required to access the content. I know I've been saying this app's coming out like, you know, this month, next month for eh, quite a while, but it's actually being reviewed by Apple now, and we've just had to go back and make some changes and tweaks here or there before it's actually approved and released, but any day now. For those of you who want to get access to early pricing on the All Audio QBank, we do have a way of delivering that content via Podbean. So if you go to insidetheboards.podbean.com, Com or click the link in the show notes. Uh, you can sign up, get the early access pricing, and then you'll have access to the content on the iOS beta app as well as our cross-platform full app, which, you know, I hesitate to say it, but should be out for a May release. We're at least on track for that. And just a reminder, we have the ITB main podcast as well as the medical mnemonist, spelled like mnemonics. Um, which is focused on accelerated learning techniques and uh, study hacks. That podcast is live now. We are going to be launching 
two other additional podcasts, one for physiology and then an expanded version of Step 2 Secrets. So go to InsideTheBoards.com, sign up for our email list to be notified when we release that content. It's going to be exclusively in our app, and it's high-yield, med-ed for free, like you've come to expect from us. As always, we thank you for listening. Let's dive right into today's content. All right, everyone. Welcome to the uh, Step 2 Study Smarter series. Uh, My name is Stuart Bryant. I am one of the hosts here at Inside the Boards, and I am joined today with Dr. Patrick Beeman, uh, our co-founder and CEO of Inside the Boards here today. Actually, I'm taking the title Chief Question Officer because it sounds like cooler and closer to what I do. Awesome. Maybe I'll be like a chief podcast officer. I don't, I don't know. We'll see how figure this out. Yeah. But yeah, today we're here to talk to you guys about step two questions. Really, this will be very dedicated kind of content, not a whole lot of anecdotal material, but just sort of running through questions. And I think we're going to really focus today on cardiology, right, Patrick? That's true. And just a reminder, our all audio cue bank, go to insidetheboards.com. These questions are from our friends at Online MedEd, who power our step two version of the all audio cue bank. So if you like this type of content, you can get straight up questions in our all audio cue bank powered by Online MedEd. So that's my only plug. Awesome. All right. Let's start. I'll read this one. A 56-year-old male presents with sudden onset crushing substernal chest pain. Gotta love chief complaints like that. It is present at rest and worse with exertion. He says he's never felt the pain before. He's pale, cool, and diaphoretic. Past medical history is positive for hypertension and cigarette smoking. His vitals show a blood pressure of 110 over 70, a heart rate of 120, respirations are 22, and he's and his O2 sats are 95% on room air. He's clutching his chest and is in obvious distress. His physical exams otherwise normal. Sublingual nitroglycerin was administered, as was aspirin, in the field. A 12-lead EKG demonstrates no ST segment changes, but there is a new left bundle branch block. What is the best next step in the management of this patient? Is it A, a percutaneous coronary intervention, B, a coronary artery bypass graft, C, CT angiography, or D, a serum troponin level? Mm, This is tough. So, Patrick, what's your differential for crushing substernal chest pain? And I'll give you mine. Sure. Uh, So an MI sits at the top of the list, and then... Uh, basically, things in the mediastinum or, or chest, if somebody has an atypical presentation, we'll leave that off for now. But what about like an aortic dissection or, um, uh, or 
I guess uh, it's possible. I guess you could have like a pulmonary embolus. What else? Uh, cardiac tamponade. Mm. Let's hear yours. I'm an OBGYN. Preeclampsia? Yeah. No. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> Not a bad choice. So my thoughts are exactly as you said. I'm thinking about an MI, an MI, and an MI. And, and then I'm thinking, okay, what else could be going on? Cardiac, I think about tamponade. I think about aortic dissection. Uh, you threw up PE also. I really like PE. Other things, mediastinal. I think about like... Uh, an esophageal rupture. Ooh, like, like Borhov syndrome? Borhov syndrome, yeah. And then I think there's one more that I'm leaving out here because I think I have six that I think about, but we've got five, so I think we've really hit the major ones, don't you think? Yeah. Anything else substernal? I guess GERD, you can have a chest pain. Sure. Uh, and that's going to go in your differential too course that's not going to be something that's going to kill you right right and less described especially on boards is crushing substernal chest pain i f i feel like that descriptor is kind of a, a a dead ringer on the exams for an mi exactly so one thing i'm leaving off but oh well <laughs> it'll come to me eventually so this guy's aortic aneurysm yeah i, I crushing's chest chest pain yeah I, I guess it's lower it's lower on my list but it's there yeah yeah all right so we'll stick with mi is the five in the differential top five in the differential um for crushing substernal chest pain on usmla step two or like an im shelf Mm -hmm. All right. For sure. Cool. So this guy's got that, that kind of pain. He's gotten, he's already gotten nitro. He's already gotten aspirin. Uh, he's got an EKG that says there's no ST segment changes, but there's a left bundle branch block. Uh, it's one of, one of those where you're like, oh, no ST segment changes. Oh man, this guy probably doesn't have an MI. Now I'm all confused. Yeah, but he's got a bundle branch block. Do I know it to make it that or not? Yeah. Um, well, actually, you do because a new bundle branch block counts as an ST segment elevation or STEMI. Exactly. So if we if we know that the patient is having crush, crushing chest pain, that it's not relieved with nitroglycerin and aspirin, and has a new bundle branch block, what are we going to do? We're going to go to the cath lab, right? Yep. First things first. Um, so my, my answer here is going to be uh, go to the cath lab, get PCI, hopefully save some heart, right? Oh, dude, we forgot now, angina. Oh, yeah, that's the sixth one. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Sorry. <laughs> to continue with our discussion of MI. There it is. Oh, I knew it was going to come up, right? Yeah. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
So anyway, angina aside would have been relieved if we had given nitroglycerin, so that kind of runs off. We're going to go to the cath lab. We're going to open up their coronary vessels and hopefully get some perfusion and help save their heart, right? Yep. Here, our other options include doing a cabbage. I don't think anyone's going to pick that one, honestly. If you were to say, oh, they're, they've got some chest pain, let's go to surgery and do a bypass. Uh, I think you're going to need some more information for that, right? Uh, you're going to need like angiography. You're going to want to know how bad the vessels are. And you're going to want to be sure that they are a patient who's going to be fixed by having angina or having a cabbage done, right? Yeah. So we're not just going to run off to surgery. A CT angiography. This is never the right answer, guys. Oh, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> so a, a CT angio is uh, not ready for prime time, I think. It's one of these, if you see it, don't pick it. If there's any other kind of way to interrogate the coronary arteries, like you're going to use that over CT angiography. In the future, this might become a right answer for looking at coronary vessels, but right now, avoid it like the plague. And I, honestly, I think it would be rare to even see it as an answer choice outside of here. And then our other choice here is serum troponin level. This is probably the most attractive distractor. Yeah, okay. right. I, I mean, you know, chances are this is going to, in real life, by the time you see this patient and they've done the EKG, they've probably already drawn blood for this. So that it would kind of defeat the point. But for your test, you you already have proof that they're having an MI based on a new left bundle branch block, right? Yeah. If you have the EKG findings that are diagnostic of an ST elevated um, or a, of a myocardial infarction, you don't need troponin to characterize to be sure. Uh, you have to think about your pretest probability here. Um, Which is high. If you see this guy and you're 95% sure they're having an MI and you're 5% sure they're having, that they, they could be having like a dissection or a PE or something, what is a troponin going to give you once you know they have a new left bundle branch block? You know, even if it's a, a likelihood ratio increase of, say, it doubles your your chances. So you're 95% sure, and now you're like, what, 97% sure? Yeah. <laughs> like, how useful is that for you guys? Right. So what you're going to want to do is, at this point, we know he has risk factors. We know he has chest pain. We know he has a new left bundle branch block. Let's go ahead and get this guy some treatment. And this comes into, like, the whole, you know, door-to-cath time, right? Yeah. Like, I think 90 minutes is the rule right now, or the, the goal. Some ERs are trying to do faster than that. Like, I've heard ERs have a, a, a door-to-cath of, like, 30 minutes, actually. And that's uh, obviously this the sooner the better, but for testing purposes, you're looking for a patient who presents within three hours Oh, sorry, I interrupted you. What what were you saying? What else for uh, uh, PCI? Uh, so we were talking about how fast you want to get to the cath lab. The, the The rule is ninety minutes. It's not like a stroke where you know you have the you know once they once they they were last seen normal, that's when the clock stops t starts ticking. It, it's more about when they get to the ED. 
so that the goal is 90 minutes and i think that's in general um eds are trying to do that even faster than that actually fun fact with this patient a classic uh sign is a patient clutching the chest in in uh, acute distress with ill vital signs and uh having substernal chest pain right yep. uh that's called levine sign maybe you'll see it and importantly <laughs> I remember uh, learning in medical school that um, if somebody has a closed fist and they're doing that versus an open hand, the closed fist is more likely to be cardiac pain Interesting. in nature. I, w- I would love to see the study that found that. <laughs> yeah, it could <laughs> just be anecdotal from the cardiologist's experience, but but still perhaps a useful sign if you walk into an ER room and somebody's sitting there with a closed fist against their chest instead of an open hand. I don't know, though. I don't think that'll be on the test. Yeah, there are enough heart attacks where we could study this stuff if we wanted. True, true. All right. (laughs) All right. How do we feel about that? I think that's pretty good. Just to mention the cabbage, though, um, is it still true that you can say, like, Uh, essentially that if you have three-vessel disease, uh, left main coronary artery disease, or like lesions identified on angiography that are not amenable to PCI, that you still do PCI first as an attempt for that lesion, the one thought to be responsible for the STEMI, but then the patient could get a uh, cabbage afterwards. Yeah, I think the the real deal is so definitely three vessel disease, definitely left main disease uh, can buy you a, a, a cabbage. So, but they're not going to do that you, like straight from exactly. the ER. It take it we would still take need too to long. characterize this heart attack for the patient, and you know a, a twelve lead EKG. If they gave you the EKG and you knew where the the vessel was or the vessels involved based on that, you would still probably go in, do PCI, do angiography, figure out what the what vessels were occluded and which ones needed bypass um, before we jump to the OR and just start plugging in vessels willy-nilly, right? Yep. All right, cool, then let's move on. Next question, you're up. Okay, so we have a 52-year-old man. He comes in for, surprisingly, chest pain. Uh, he doesn't have this pain currently. Uh, He is a computer engineer and is mostly sedentary. However, with exertion, he develops substernal crushing chest pain that is relieved by rest. He has hypertension and hyperlipidemia. His vitals are afebrile. His heart rate is 76. His blood pressure is 136 over 92. And he's respirating or is respiring at 16 breaths per minute. Uh, There's no tenderness of the chest wall. EKG shows no abnormalities and chemistries from three months ago are normal. What is the best next step? Should we do either no further workup, a stress or an exercise stress EKG, a nuclear stress test, or a left heart catheterization? Ooh. All right. So this dude has essentially stable angina, correct? That would be a thought, right? Okay. You've got chest pain. It's better now. You get it when you're doing stuff, and then it goes away when you take a break. 
That's what I'm going with. That's how I'm going to operate here. Um, and by the way, you'll find in clinical practice, if you get somebody who shows up in your ER or triage, if you're an OBGYN, there is nothing better than walking in that room after seeing the chief complain on the computer and them saying, yeah, but I don't have this now. <laughs> that is always a better situation. Um, <laughs> at any rate, uh, this guy with some exertional chest pain, um, characterized very cardiac-ish with it being substernal and crushing. I'm going to say he's got stable angina, and the next step in management would be an exercise uh, stress uh, EKG, a stress test. I like it. Stress test is for the for the angina patient a perfect to- choice. So I am going to to hold. Uh, I'll give you a situation where that's not a good thing. Okay. Uh, to to have the chief complaint no longer present. Mm, okay. So say this was our previous patient has substernal crushing chest pain. They've had it for the past hour. They've come to the ED. They've waited, and now you're seeing them. And now they say, you know, it doesn't. I don't really feel it anymore. They're still feeling tired. You know, you do an EKG. There's still there are uh, ST segment changes. If you've lost the pain sensation, that could mean that uh, you're too you're a little too late to that patient. Uh, that's kind of an ominous sign with a heart attack when it when it starts to get better on its own. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. That's the one example that came to mind when I thought about this. Good, uh, good to it, know. <laughs> so yeah, if you're, if your heart pain was not treated within time and your heart has had part of it die, it may no longer have any pain. All right. Well, I'd say cool, yeah. but that's not a, cool. not a step to kind of question. <laughs> yeah. That might be a little complicated. Mm-hmm. All right. So, but here we like the EK or the stress test, right? Yeah. All right. So, classic triad of angina is substernal chest pain, pain that is provoked by exertion, or I guess you could say um, relieved um, by rest or nitrates. But let me let me say that again. Uh, remember these things for angina: crushing substernal chest pain. The pain is provoked by exertion. And finally, it's relieved by either rest or nitrates. Perfect. All right. So what about a nuclear stress test here? Why would we not do a nuclear stress test? Um, honestly, I don't know. I do know that an exercise stress test is always going to be preferred. And I think that that really comes down to what you know about the patient. Okay. Um, here, you, you know, so an, an exercise or a nuclear stress test, you know, you, I think it's kind of hard to delineate these two now, but if you were to do an exercise stress test and to see EKG changes with typical angina, like you might have with this patient, uh, you probably don't need a nuclear stress test. Now, if you do the exercise stress test and you don't see those changes, maybe you would get some better characterization by doing a nuclear stress test, but that's a more invasive test. Um, 
you're giving somebody the like technetium 99 or whatever um they have to do you know scans then they get worked out and then they do more scans so it's a longer test um it's a more expensive test and i feel like you know if we're going to argue from practice from a practicality standpoint if we're going to see changes with an exercise stress test particularly in a sedentary person uh, we might not need the nuclear stress test right okay yeah that makes sense um I think it's hard to argue, though. You know, I think it, there is a choice to be made or there a decision to be made by, by which one you would do. Um, one thing that I want to clarify for people, because this trips me up, uh, a nuclear stress test is not the same thing as a chemical stress test, right? Ah, yeah, yeah. Oh. So when I was kind of trying to delineate these um, that was something that was getting me early on was I was thinking that if you were doing a nuclear stress test, they were going to be giving you something, um, to look at the heart, but they were also going to be giving you chemicals to make your heart go faster. So a nuclear stress test is essentially an exercise stress test plus radioactive isotopes. Ah, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, H- it is not hence the name, but I think it's pretty easy to get tripped up on things like that to fail to make. Uh, distinctions when uh, you're a medical student and you don't have the intimate knowledge of all the the tests that the cardiologists do. Exactly. Like I'm well into my third year and I've seen a nuclear stress test. So, and I, I, I was like, oh, this is different from a chemical stress test. Right. And I had to really kind of see it to make that delineation, you know? Yep. All right. So anything else on that? Oh, left heart cath. I think we can eliminate that based on our discussion in the last question uh, because he essentially has a normal EKG. His pain is currently relieved in the ER and his vitals are essentially normal except for mild hypertension diastolic. I don't think we would, I, I, again, yeah, that would be, that would kind of be the equivalent of last, the last question where we were saying, you know, don't do a cabbage on this person just yet. Yeah. You know, maybe they need a left heart cath in the future, but that's not where we're going next. Too big a gun for this patient with angina. Right. right. Today's music is by DJ Bezo, a.k.a. Augustine Beeman. The song is King Jeff and his apprentice Bart. We'll be featuring more from this young emerging artist who also happens to be my son. I'm just really proud of the creative work he's doing and wanted to support him in his endeavors. So thank you, Augustine. We'll look forward to more of your art which we'd be happy to feature on the ITB podcast.